welcome everybody to Full Throttle TV Special Edition, where we're discussing the Back... I'll sit Back to the Future, which is our last special edition. <laughs> I'm sorry, everybody. Smokey and the Bandit oh. special episode. I'm your host, Michael, and my co-host, as always, the co-creator of this show, the Ron. person who did the awesome artwork for this uh, podcast, Ron. How's it going? It's going great. Yourself? Uh, well, if I hadn't screwed up that, uh, that would have been nice. <laughs> I had it. I was going to say, smoking the bandit, and the word bandit got stuck in my head, and for some reason it mutated into back to the... And I was like, oh, it's not back to the future, idiot. Well, the back to the future never, ever leaves your brain. No. It's it's always there. Yeah, it's it's always just somewhere. Oh, speaking of, I went to a car show this week, and they had a DeLorean with a flux capacitor fluxing, and it was signed by Christopher Lloyd and Bob Gale and Robert Zemeckis, and it had a little uh, hoverboard inside of it. Uh, here's the weird thing is it had, oh, the ho- had it had the hoverboard, but in order to have the hoverboard and be an accurate DeLorean, it, ha- uh, it had to have the Fusionator thing in the background, Mr. Fusion, and it didn't. Mm-hmm. Whatever. I'm not going to nitpick. Anything Back to the Future always makes me excited. But That's it- probably He's probably got his coffee maker on the shop bench at home. You yeah, know, maybe. Yeah. All right, so this episode we're discussing the Smokey and the Bandit franchise. Normally we discuss TV shows, yes. but... Right now, uh, we are in the middle of Season 1 and Season 2 of Full Throttle TV. The last one we ended with, if you want to check it out, was Magnum P.I. And before Miami Vice, and um, also Dukes of Hazard, Airwolf, stuff like that. And then we mix in some of the smaller shows that were in that style in there. So check out all of Season 1. It's up on Retro Rocket Entertainment. Uh, this is going to be a filler episode until we get to Season 2 at the end of the month, which we're doing A-Team. Yeah! And Stingray, and the third one is Highwayman, which we mentioned Highwayman during the Dukes of Hazard episode, but this time we actually get to watch it. <laughs> it took me forever to find episodes. <laughs> yeah, we're not talking about the old country singers here either. So. No. All right, Smokey and the Bandit. Uh, now, the reason this popped up in my head is uh, I have HDNet uh, movies, and they have been showing the trilogy all in a row. I have to tell you, there was a day where I was like, yeah, I'm not doing anything. I'm not doing anything at all. I'm just going to sit back and... Uh, snack my way, you know, and just get through all three movies. They're not as long as you think they would be. Uh, it's a pretty fast no. marathon. It's a lot of action. It doesn't take much. Yeah. The, uh, I'll, I'll say this. If you want to be technical, there's actually like seven Smoking the Bandits. But I have Amnesia, and thankfully so, of the TV movies. That just... <laughs> all right, so the initial as one... As big a fan as I am, I didn't even know they existed. So. Yeah, that's crazy, right? Uh, here's the thing. Um, there was a group of uh, popular directors and producers in the mid-90s that set a deal with Universal Studios. And they were going to do a bunch of TV movies that would be syndicated out to like the smaller networks. Like where we lived, we had Super 55 Fox. And Fox was still young at the time, so they didn't have a full array you know, a seven-day programming thing. And so they do a lot of syndicated TV shows, which usually aired either late at night or on Saturdays and Sundays. And out of this, you've got the Smoking the Bandit movies, the Midnight Run movies. There's like two or three sequels. Uh, Rising Sun, which was a uh, kung fu show, which is actually pretty good. And it went on to series. And the most notorious of all of them is Hercules, which started off as, I think, four movies. And, of course, we watched the show nonstop, and that became Xena. So that's the only real success they had of Action Pack. But those are kind of on the side note. Those movies are available uh, in the complete Smoking the Bandit pack. You find it usually at Target for like like ten bucks, 
and it has all three movies and all the TV movies. And frankly, I'm not, I'm not gonna say 9.99 is a a bad deal, but you'll find yourself unless you're a huge fan, just like, oh, all right, I should have stopped a while ago. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right. So the first movie, uh, of course, is the massive beast. Uh, it went up against Star Wars and somehow ended up a huge success. This literally opened like two days after Star Wars. And for the whole summer yes. of uh, 1977, they were just constantly in the top two. Just one, boom, 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 boom. I think, um, if I remember correctly, Smoking the Bandit was number one first. And then by its like, third week is when Star Wars took over and then just kept building and building and building. Smoking the Bandit, how much do you think it cost? Uh, I actually read that earlier today, uh, but I know it wasn't that much. Yeah, it's funny how little stunts cost. The special effects are what cost a fortune. But crashing a car, you know, having a guy jump over a river and into something else, apparently that costs very, very little. Four point right. three million is how much this costs. Worldwide box office was three hundred million dollars. That's bonkers level of money back then. That's like a billion now. That is awesome. And now, For yeah, they'll say that this is probably the pinnacle of what is kind of considered hick exploitation. Which I think is kind of an insulting name, but it's mostly movies that are kind of like about Southern pride, or movies that just took place in the South. Uh, and uh, you know, Burt Reynolds is kind of the king of that. He did Gator and uh, White Lightning. This what's the football movie again? Um, oh shoot! Oh, Adam. Oh, Longest Brad. Yard. Longest Yard. Longest Yard. That's it. Yeah. So he was like he was a huge star, and this is I think his biggest hit, and rightfully so. It is a crazy level of entertaining. A lot of people kind of knock on this now as if we're so much more sophisticated, but I'll I'll put this movie up against a Transformers movie and go, yeah, you know what? The Transformers movie sucks in comparison. You can just keep that. I'll watch this. I definitely yeah. This is one of my go-to movies when I feel like just kicking back and just having some, you know. Not to put the movie down, but brainless fun. Yeah, well, so. it's 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 there. There's a difference between brain uh, brain dead and brainless. Brain dead movies right. are people who put together movie. It seems just to make a profit. They don't care about the characters. They don't care about what's going on. It's just like an exploitation film. Whereas yeah. Smoking the Bandit was taking um, maybe the format of an exploitation movie, you know, something that Roger Corman would do, and trying to elevate it. And a lot of that has to do with Sally Field and Jackie Gleason. They, you know, two respected actors. Who well actress right. do, do we still on do we call actresses do we still say actresses do we just call everybody actors now I don't know <laughs> I I, I, <laughs> I never I, know what's the right thing to say <laughs> I have a hard time calling women you know what used to be called a man I don't know yeah um it's if well they have a problem with that that's a problem anyway. yeah I don't know I don't know if that's something that's changed or uh, that was an awkward moment but um two very respected <laughs> actors and uh, brought into this. And it takes what could have been a cheap exploitation movie and uh, it makes it a really solid pick. Second. Yeah, and then uh, what was it? I was looking at this. Um, Hal Needham, this is the first movie that he directed. He was a stunt coordinator and he's notorious yeah. for breaking pretty much every single bone in his body. And I think that he was tired <laughs> of doing stunts so he went along and started like designing stunt work and then eventually he became such good friends with Burt Reynolds they had this idea and they put it together and, and brought it to a studio and they said, yeah, go ahead and direct it. And uh, I would say not all of his movies are good. Uh, I like the Cannonball Run movies and the Smoking the Bandit movies. Yes. But um, 
Heated Megaforce. Have you ever seen Megaforce? I do, but I can't recall a thing about it. It's basically if they if it was nineteen eighty two and you didn't have the rights to G.I. Joe but you wanted to make a movie about G.I. Joe, this is the movie that you would make. <laughs> It's, it's it's okay. It's not great, but I remember being a huge flop. But he did that movie Rad, which I enjoy highly. Rad? Yeah, the bike movie. Yeah, I love that movie. Yeah, I think that was his last movie. Then he retired. He had a lot of flops after Cannonball Run. I, I still think Cannonball Run 2 is really entertaining, and uh, it's kind of a shame that his career went down the tubes. Right. But he, he passed away a couple years ago, and uh, big ups to him for doing so much work. He made a movie like every single year, if I remember correctly. That's always good. Job security. Yeah. Let's say they they said, uh, talking about him, he had actually originally approached Jerry Reed for this role. I yeah. did not know that until now. There that is there's a movie that Jerry Reed made with Peter Fonda right before this. I think it was right before this, or maybe right after this, called High Ballin'. It's about truckers, and it's about like corrupt guys trying to take uh, over their um, cargo. And uh, mm-hmm. it's 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 I think it's on Netflix, but it's really hard to find. But it's really good. And I think maybe he had seen Jerry Reed in this movie and decided, you know, this might be a good project for him to do, Smokey the Bandit. I don't know when he did a movie called Concrete Cowboys, and that's probably the only other movie I've ever seen Jerry Reed in. Well, he's in Waterboy. Have you seen that? He's the coach in Waterboy that treats oh. him like crap. Oh, okay. So I maybe I didn't know I saw him in. <laughs> <laughs> That's sad, because I love Jerry Reed. He is, I don't know, he's hilarious. He's one of the, he's the main, you know, we love Burt Reynolds. God bless his soul. But uh, Jerry Reed's why I watch this movie. Yeah, he is. I was going to say it, too. I thought I was going to say something crazy. <laughs> I was going to say that, but I was like, I'm going to sound like an idiot. But Jerry Reed is the most likable part of this whole franchise. Yes. <laughs> and that's, I mean, that's pretty much the character he plays. In, I, I've not seen every movie he's done, obviously, but I've seen Concrete Cowboys, and it's, to me, kind of all seems like the same character which made it click for me right with tom Selleck. yeah i love concrete they actually hit it off pretty good yeah it went to series and um when they took tom Selleck out of the series because by then he had signed on to magnum pi it just doesn't have the same energy you watch and you're just like that guy's a just a poor replacement for him it sucks (laughs) yeah yeah well uh so on the other hand side and all that on the bad guy side we have uh, Buford T. Justice, and then his son, Daddy, Daddy. <laughs> Daddy. How old Daddy. is he? Is he? He's got to be forty in that first movie. Just when I go, but Daddy, <laughs> boy, when I go home, oh yeah, what is it? There's no way you came from my loins. When I get home, I'm gonna punch your mama in the mouth. <laughs> if my kids weren't asleep right now, I could do that dead on for you. But... <laughs> uh, when I went to Vegas, they have. Uh, there's old Vegas and new Vegas, and yeah. I don't really care for new Vegas. It's just filled with massive amount of tourists and all the people who just want to party, party, party. You go to old Vegas, and those buildings have been there since the very beginning, most of them. And you right. know, it's an older crowd. They're not really there for the wow factor. They're just kind of there to have a good time, relax. But during this part, they actually have the guys in costumes going around, and you can take pictures with them. Uh, they work on tips. You know, they can't demand money if you take pictures with them because it's against the law. But you can right. suggest, hey, hey, I took the picture with you. Would you mind giving me a tip? Just in case you ever run into that. They have that up in uh, over in L.A. too in front of the Man's Chinese Theater. Uh, in Vegas, they have these two guys 
that dress as Smokey and the Bandit, and I have a picture with them. And only yep. at the time I didn't notice it because the lights down there are weird. But when you look at the picture, I swear to you, the guy playing uh, Burt Reynolds' character looks exactly like Count uh, from Sesame Street. <laughs> Just <laughs> it, it, he looks like the Count from Sesame Street, but in the Bandit's costume. Ten four, kid buddy. Ah ah ah. <laughs> <laughs> the first oh, one is really good the problem i have with the franchise is the second movie now i remember watching this when i do you remember you were babysitting some kids overnight and i went uh i hung out with you that night and slept there and we watched smoking the right. bandit 2 and i found myself about halfway through going why is this still going what is going why is it i felt like it was way too long even though if you look at the time it's pretty much as long right. as the first one but I feel like it drags on and on. And I watched it again a couple weeks ago, and I am miserable during it. I can barely finish the second movie. I kind of liked it. I, I mean, it was nowhere near as good as the first one. And we'll get into the third one and how it compares to that one. But yeah. <laughs> uh, My problem starts with the fact that Sally Field has broken up with Burt Reynolds. And mm -hmm. now she's back almost marrying Junior again, which... That didn't make any sense that to me. That never made any sense. I was like, oh, no, wait a minute. You spent the whole first movie running away. Almost the entire plot of the first movie is all this disaster that's caused because you're trying to get away. And so you just go back to him again? I felt like it was lazy on the writer's part just to come in and just do that. And Obviously, it's a big rib and gives them a reason, but yeah, definitely lazy. They, yeah, they I didn't like that at all. Yeah, they you want to walk her out on another way. wedding, that's fine, but... Yeah, and uh, it just seemed like a, a pathetic attempt to bring Buford back in. I, maybe the plan originally was never to bring in Buford T. Justice for the second movie, and they had a, like a last-minute rewrite. They got, well, we got to have him back. Everybody loves him. And so they had to rush it. Yeah, yeah. That's the only thing I could think. Um, because there was a story there in the first place, getting the elephant to where it needs to go in, in a short amount of time, and the fact that she's right. left him, now he's a drunk. And the second problem I have with the movie is the fact that his acting, when it comes to being drunk is embarrassing it's uh it's like a, a saturday morning tv kind of like saved by the bell level of quality acting he's so terrible at it and once he starts to sober up it gets better um i love dom DeLuise in the movie he is so much fun yes though i do like him more in uh the cannibal run movies i'm with you on that one because he's well, so he insane more, he could be himself he didn't have to be that the was doctor, I'm from, you know, where was he from? Like Romania or something, something crazy. Right, right. What are you, Italian? <laughs> uh, the, the, the action sequence at the end is so insanely over the top that it, it slips in the cartoon world, which I have no problem with. When all there's like 50 <laughs> semis going up against about 100 cop cars, you're like, meh, why not? Oh, that's the part, I have to tell you, this is the one thing I... If there's anything about the second movie that I love, absolutely love, and, and quote all the time, it's that scene. It's like, tell me, how many trucks do you see? Oh, yeah, when you said it looks anyway. like one, and they start to spread out. <laughs> well, I must be a fun drunk, because I swear I see a ton of trucks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, before we get into part three, let's talk about the car, the mo one of the most famous cars of all time. Famous cars of all time. Am I wrong? Was of course. Oh. Huh? Am I yeah. wrong? Okay. 1977. It was so popular. It was 1977 and 77 Pontiac Firebird Trans Am. 
beautiful car. If you were a car guy in our childhood, you wanted this car. At least it was at least in the top five in your list. I, I, I had the Hot Wheels. Mine, so. Does that count? I had I had a couple of the Hot Wheels. <laughs> oh yeah, I know I did. I never got I never got the truck though. I, always ticked me off always irked me but i was never able to get my hands on a truck so. yeah i don't it's, it's probably more expensive by a long shot yeah let's see uh had some information on that one um it was a kenworth w900a and they used three units for it uh two were 70 year model years and the second one was a 73 model year um i think if i remember correctly the paint scheme on the truck no this was a different truck i'm sorry Getting my facts mixed up. Different movie. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, going back to the Pontiac, they had three of those, I believe. Uh, maybe four. I've gotten conflicting reports on that one. There may have been four, but I can't get iron details on that one. But for, um, one interesting note is they completely, utterly demolished one of them in that iconic jump over the bridge. Yeah. was dead as a doorknob <laughs> after that one but uh they said that eventually uh as far as the cop cars go they had three of those or two of those three of those actually and they had to piece them together by the time they got to the end of it none of them barely ran or all of them barely ran sorry this is how bad they beat them up in this movie <laughs> this how, bad the action, how great the action was all for our entertainment like, are you not entertained <laughs> it was Freaking awesome. Let me get that exact number there. There were, uh, I lost it. But anyway, um, as far as, okay, we're moving on. Uh, the second movie was actually a 1980 Firebird. Um, really not much difference there. Yeah, you know what's uh, funny I is I about... read that later and I never even noticed. I was like, wait, it was a different car? Well, I guess that makes sense because, yeah. um, well, it, it said that General Motors was um really really pleased with the franchise for uh making the sales of that car just skyrocket and so i imagine yes. they were like well, we got a new version you got to take this what's it say here i had it written down here oh i lost it you know what you hate it when your phone shuts off Duh. what it like shuts down there completely? it is okay yeah okay trans am sales jumped from 68,745 and 77 to 93,341 and 78 because of this or after this movie was released. That is crazy. And then it said in just one year later that number swelled 117, a little over 117,000 units. Pontiac was, or GM was loving this movie. And here's the thing though, every time I go to a car show, um, I never see one. I haven't seen one in forever. Maybe they're not popular on the West Coast. The uh, It's because everybody tucks them away. I may be, because I feel like I see a, a bazillion DeLoreans. Every car show I go, there's a DeLorean. Or uh, sometimes you'll see the Batman, you know, you'll see one of the Batmobiles. Uh, it helps that we're in the side of the country where movies are made, you know. So you'll see stuff come from Vancouver right. and L.A. But I never, right. ever see one of the smoky, uh, one of the bandit cars. And it, I was like, well, that's kind of weird. But you're right, they're probably all in storage. So, um... Was it, was it, I think it was it the first movie that said some of, most of Jackie Gleason's lines? Yeah. This is an off, sorry, I'm getting off base here, but most of his lines were ad-lib. I, I think I read that somewhere. I imagine like so. A lot of his lines were ad-libbed. He seems like the kind of guy but, that would be like, you know what, I'm just going to wing it. <laughs> exactly, and he could do it. But, of course, he's got a few years under his hood, so, so to speak. 
<laughs> yeah, I was just watching him uh, in Nothing in Common, and you watched just like, I think it was his last movie, he died like soon afterwards, but you're just watching A Genius at Work. And that's what he does in Smoking the Bandit. You feel like there's not a lot for him to do, and he just goes, I don't need a lot. I, I can make up my own. And it's like, yeah, that's the genius we know. Right. You know what's funny? Is I've never seen Honeymooners. I've never seen a single episode. Really? I'm ne- somehow it's just never happened. Oh, man, you got to. Okay. I got it. If, if, if for nothing but nostalgia, yeah. you have to watch the Honeymooners. <laughs> Speaking of the Honeymooners, you... Um, you know, there's a lot of cussing going on in this movie. Obviously, you can't do that on TV, right? Right, right. The cool thing is they actually, most of the actors except for Buford came back and redid their lines for the TV version of it, for, for a cleaned up version of it. That's kind of cool. But the actor they got to do Gleason's was actor Henry Corden. Who's that? That sounds familiar. Who voiced Fred Flintstone after Oh, that's Alan ironic. That is completely ironic since Flintstones is a ripoff of the Honeymooners. Exactly. <laughs> I didn't know That's that. That's awesome. Oh, how appropriate. It's, it's the only the person you could get to do it. It's perfect. Uh, you know, it's funny is what they could get away with back then in PG movies. You watch some of the PG right. movies we watched as a kid, and you're like, wow, that's really dark. Or, that's a lot of blood. Uh, we were watching, um, I think it was Willow, and there was a lot of blood in it. You're just like, holy crap, this is PG? Back in the 80s, it was just something different. And then, of course, they came out with PG-13. It feels like almost all movies now are PG-13. There's nothing really on either end. I mean, not a lot of R-rated movies come out. And if they are R-rated, they're really R-rated. Like, there's no way to tone that down. (laughs) All right, so part three. This is where things kind of go awry. The box office between one and two plummeted pretty bad. Now, you like part two. But I think the general consensus was been there, done that. Especially since a lot of the plot didn't connect. Like, you're like, what? Uh, part three, I actually enjoyed quite a bit. Uh, even though if it were, came time for me to show those to children, I'd be like, there's no part three. I have no idea what you're talking about because there are parts of that exactly. movie that are insanely filthy. I cannot oh, believe yeah. it was PG. You're like, what? That's a lot of nudity. <laughs> they go to a sex house. Yeah. I th- yeah, I, saw, I watched that today, and I, I could not believe what I was seeing. Cause, I mean, they got away with a little bit in the first two, but I don't think I actually saw any skin in the first two. Yeah, there isn't any. There's just, a, I think in the first one he tells them to F off. The second one, I don't mm-hmm. I don't believe there's any bad language. And I don't understand what's going on. Three is a mess. Now, there are two versions of part three. There is a version where Buford T. Justice is retired. He is completely out of his mind. And he is so bored with retirement that he creates, like Fight Club, uh, you know, the way they do with Tyler Durden, he creates a bandit. He becomes his own enemy. He is chasing around what he believes to be the bandit, but there's no one there. The whole thing is a figment of his imagination. They finished the movie. They showed it to an audience. And they were like, what? And the studio said, oh, crap. We got to reshoot right now. And they begged, uh, they begged um, Burt Reynolds to come back. He said, nah, uh, the last one didn't do that well. I'm kind of over this. Plus, I'm sure I think he was in production on um, Cannonball Run at the time because Hal Needham was not available either because they had a different director come in for the third Smokey and the Bandit. And you can really tell a difference too. Yeah, it, it just doesn't have the same kind of vibe. It feels like a TV movie is what it does. 
so they brought yeah. in Jerry Reed because that was the only chance they had at making a bandit. And they said, we'll pay you a huge chunk of cash. you got to shoot this fast. We're just going to shoot your parts. And they got uh, Burt Reynolds to agree to a cameo for like one day. And they reshot it all with Jerry Reed as a bandit. And I, I, I just want to know, I want to see that first version. I want to see the version that made people go, this is insane. What are we watching? This is madness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh. And one thing I didn't like about that one is they didn't bring back the car. The original car? Which one is he they driving the third one? The 77. They, they brought back a nice car, but they didn't bring back the original 77. Yeah. I'm like, the movie the movie would not work whatsoever if Jerry Reed was not in it. Which is ironic since that was the original intention that he was gonna be the bandit. So unusual. It's kinda of, I get to be the bandit, you know, he's got that line in there. I, I love it. I, I actually okay, when I when I feel like I'm being naughty, I say two things. Either I say I aim to misbehave, which is from Serenity, or yeah. I go, I get to be the bandit. I get to be the bandit <laughs> <laughs> hey, that little hopping he does with his dog, and, and he's just so happy to play the bandit. That is my favorite yeah. part of the movie. But um, who's the the lady in it? Colleen Camp. I actually quite like yeah. her. She her her motivation doesn't completely make sense, but she's so likable. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I do like her as an actress definitely, and she did she did pretty good. But getting the, the whole reason she's with him in the first place just made, it made no sense. Yeah, to me yeah, it's another one of those like, oh, we're gonna have to glaze over this, or this is never gonna work. And besides the sex thing that bugs me, and I'll say you can't really show this to kids on P, uh, unless you watch like the edited TV version, there is a character about three quarters of the way in the movie. The whole thing in this is that they got to just get a fish, a fish from one location right. to the other, which uh, the stakes of that are so low because the first movie they're trying to uh, transport alcohol, which will make them go to prison. The second movie, you have an elephant, which is about to give birth. There's a sense of urgency to that. Who cares about the fish? There's no sense of urgency whatsoever. It's just another contest. And four hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, but still, it's no, it's no life and death stakes. There's no prison stakes really. And uh, there's a character. Two hundred thousand. I'm sorry. Right, right after they come out of the sex club and they get the fish, there's a character who I still am not certain if she was a man dressed as a woman or just a really tough chick. But she spends the next 20 minutes just hanging on to the top of a car going, I love you, Buford. I love you. I need you. Oh. And you're like, this... Pew, baby. Pew, baby. Yeah, and you're just like, that is... nope, that doesn't make any sense. No, this isn't happening. <laughs> <laughs> was it, uh, was there, what was her character? Was it Dusty Trails? I, I can't. It, it, had, it was something ridiculous, like, that's for sure. Uh, I can't. I'm seeing a name here on IMDb. It says Colleen Camp, so I don't know. Oh, no, no, no. That was, that was the main girl. That was the one in the car with Jerry Reed. Were, are you talking oh, about the crazy right. sex fiend? I know what you're talking about. Sorry. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, so... I just picked the wrong one. Yeah, Go so on. the third one, uh, it might have made a profit if they didn't have to shoot it twice, but obviously it had exhausted its welcome. I think it opened up um, against Return of the Jedi or something like that, and it, it bombed pretty hard. Now... There was a theater that we used to go to, and I cannot remember the neighborhood it was in, but it was a dollar theater that you and I went to. We went and saw um, Tall Tale and Quick and the Dead. Oh, I can't remember. Right. But this theater, um, 
it kept up all of the posters from the summer of 83, even though it was 1995 or 96 at the time. And I remember us standing in line. I don't know if you remember this. Standing in line to get tickets, and we're looking up going, my God, how are these posters still holding together? And then we saw there was a Smoking the Bandit 3 poster up against, uh, it was next to Octopussy or something. Right. <laughs> and I was just like, that's dedication not to change a single poster for over a decade. <laughs> that, it's dedication or it's insane laziness <laughs> alright so I think we've hit the end of this episode do you have anything else you want to say about Smoking the Bandit I'll throw out a couple things I didn't really I touched on the car uh, for those who don't know it was a 1983 Pontiac Firebird which might sound or at least look a little familiar to those car nuts out there because a 1982 Pontiac Trans Am was used as kit no kidding. So if you want to figure out what it looks like, that that's pretty much the same car. You know, that's an ep- that's a show that we keep putting off, but I'm thinking that should come around after A Team. Right, that works for me. And uh, one more thing, so I don't put anybody off. There was one more truck involved, and that was because uh, the truck that they used in the second movie was not the same one as he had in the first one. Okay. And I guess they don't. Nobody knows for certain. Maybe the premise was okay. They they were going to use the money they got to buy a new truck, right? So they've got a new new truck and it's a 1980 gmc general which was a very popular truck at the time um which i like but and going on to the third movie he does drive a truck for a short period of time and it's one of my favorite trucks is it a peterbilt it, it is a peterbilt <laughs> i knew it but he only drives it for a short period of time before he ditches it for the 83 pontiac so <laughs> that's kind of bums me out but you know you gotta do what you gotta do yeah so. Because he gets to be the bandit. I get to be the bandit. I get to be the bandit. (laughs) Um, Everybody, thank you for the support of this show. Uh, The attention that we got for the Dukes of Hazzard episode shocks and just amazes me. Every time I put the show back out there, I think, oh, we've exhausted our audience. This will be the last time I post it. No, it's still a huge surge. Uh, that in the Airwolf episode, um, they are doing very well. The Back to the Future episode is off the charts. It's uh, our, our most popular episode. And uh, we're trying to just, we're probably going to wrap this up after season two. I think that we'll uh, finish all the shows that we want to talk about. And then maybe we'll do some more movie stuff. Maybe talk about the Wraith, uh, Black Moon Rising, yes. maybe the Fast and the Furious movies, some other stuff, maybe some 70s trucker movies. And uh, until then, though, um, the next episode will be the A-Team stingray and highwayman and uh it should be up at the end of the month i was a highwayman i'm sorry (laughs) i was gonna end it with uh texas bound but uh, my internet's not working i'm using 3g on my phone so i have to say Uh, goodbye everybody that's a bummer all right everybody good night and be excellent to each other yes good night Welcome to Full Throttle Podcast. Um, as some of you regulars know, the show has kind of ended. Uh, we are no longer discussing. We've kind of run out of stuff to talk about. 
Uh, we love the support. In fact, we're surprised to see more popular than rerun. Uh, so we decided we're going to do a few uh, movie specials here and there. We're going to do Gone 60 Seconds, the Fast and Furious 1. Uh, in this episode, we're going to discuss the Cannonball Run trilogy. Most people forget that it was a trilogy. Speed Zone is Canadian uh, part three, uh, sometimes sold as Cannonball Speed. Um, but before we kick into the episode, we'll just trailer. Speed Zone. Rated PG. Starts 
Alright everybody, time to discuss the Cannonball Run Trilogy. Um, so I'm here Can with my co-host Ron, we're back for a Christmas special. Yes, we said the show was pretty much over, but we're going to do a few specials here and there. It's just not going to be a regular thing. Then once in a blue moon we'll, we'll pop out a new episode. Thank you everybody for supporting the show. Uh, through and uh, sorry, a few times you had to wait on a long time for another episode. <laughs> Life happens. It says that. Yeah. All right. So, Cannonball Run. This uh, this is going to be kind of a, a more of a mini episode. Than I likely do. Uh, but we thought this is an interesting trilogy. Not a lot of people know that it's a trilogy. That Speed Zone is the third part. Uh, did you know mm-hmm. that? I did not know that. And I think it's weird because the second one, it didn't make anywhere nearly as much as the first movie by a long shot. I think the right. first one made 70, so the second one made 28. Um, right. But the third one, I thought, well, you know, just still call it Cannonball Run. I mean, it's from a smaller studio, Orion. But no, they just switched it up to the Seed Zone. And in, overseas, they didn't even call it Cannonball Run 3. They called it Cannonball Feet. <laughs> What, they run out of ideas for titles? Seriously? Uh, well, there's also a movie called Cannonball. Uh, I think Roger Corman released it. It wasn't produced by him. It has David Carradine, which is a much more serious version. I had not, I've been seeing references to that, and I guess they dropped, what, Firebird or something like that in that one? Uh, you know, I haven't seen that one in a long time, uh, but I do remember enjoying it quite a bit. Actually, I think I enjoyed it more than I do uh, movies. Now this set me off in the wrong direction, but I'm going to say this. <laughs> I'm going to put my balls on the table. You want to take a hammer to them? I basically asking for it. I actually don't like the first movie very much. I like the sequels quite a bit, but that first one's a rough road for me. Yeah. Well, the sequel's got Tony Danza. I mean... <laughs> Angela, <laughs> Mona... And a limo, a limo driving chimp. I mean, seriously. <laughs> I just think the second one's funnier. Uh, it is. With that, and of course, you have the great reunion of the Rat Pack. Uh, we got Sammy right. and Dean in the first movie, but then you get bring uh, Frank Sinatra in the third movie. And you're like, Blue eyes. Yeah, and and I actually kind of like um, the the wacky showdown, the old western town. Who is the guy in the second movie with the glasses? He's always like, wow, wow, wow. Uh, you used to see him in like all of those like uh, game shows where they always have celebrity name. Let me see if it's in here. Um, Stall. I can't remember either. Stall. My God, there's so <laughs> many names in the second one. Right here is where we're supposed to pause. Yeah, so but they I, don't. I'm, I'm no, we don't know where. <laughs> um, good God. Oh, Charles Nelson Riley. There we go. Charles Nelson Riley. <laughs> all right. So before we get to the and second those one, big Coke bottle glasses. Oh, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the first movie, of course, uh, takes something that is real. The Cannonball Run is a real thing. Um, it wasn't was. really that. It was, and it wasn't really that well known before the movie. Um, I think there was another one, Michael Sarazin, where uh, they do one of these kind of a gumball rally. I think it's kind of similar mm-hmm. in its concept. Right. Uh, but I also remember around 2000 or 2001, USA, did reality, this is like right when Survivor was blowing up and everybody decided they wanted a, a reality game show, they have a Cannonball Run series. It was like 10 episodes and it shows what it's like to be actual Cannonball Run. Cannonball. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is from Hal Needham, the guy who brought you the first two. Actually, I think do all three. No, no, hold on. I'm wrong. He didn't do the third. Uh, Smoking Bandit, I believe that went to like some director. He was off doing Cannonball Run or he or Cannonball Run to Stroker at the time. He was like one of those like real like super manly men who always did all these crazy car stunts. And let's just say this: after him and Burt Reynolds were no longer making movies together, things kind of fell. But he did do the movie Rad. <laughs> he did Rad. Yeah. Awesome. He did Hooper as well, didn't they do that with? Uh... 
Yeah, he also did Mega Force, which is like the Meg- first GI Joe movie. If you want to look at it in that perspective, <laughs> Mega Force. Mega Force. <laughs> See, now that's back when titles were awesome. Yeah. Epic. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Anyway, wait. They still do that in uh, what is it? in every Power Rangers movie. Anyway, um. Yeah, you haven't heard, you have never heard of Mega Force, Barry Boswick, um, the guy from Warriors, Michael Beck. Um, it's from the same company that did Cannonball Run. Uh, Golden Harvest, and they made it like as if G.I. Joe was a real thing, and it's the most absurd, outrageous, action-packed thing I've ever seen, but it's terrible at the same time. Did it have Cobra in it? No, but it had Henry Silva kind of as Cobra Commander, or Destro kind of like. Well, if it doesn't have the mask, it's not the same. I know, but it was like, how do you make a G.I. Joe? It's got voice! How do you make a G.I. Joe movie without the license? And that's Megaforce. <laughs> right. True that. Uh, uh, all right, so uh, normally in these episodes, we break down a, ve- a certain vehicle. You know, like, uh, we'll give you all the details of it, but here's like 9,003 movies. <laughs> right. It's very hard for us to go into that. But are there any particular cars that caught your fancy you want to talk about? Well, you, you think with all the cars in there, there's a few in there, actually some really cool-looking kit cars that, I, unfortunately, I can't find names. Actual concrete evidence that it is what they say it is, that sort of thing. Because yeah. you get 15 different, oh, it could be this, it could be this. Well, they're all based off of Volkswagen, so let's, let's just face it. Anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> it's all VW underneath, uh, a Beetle underneath. But there's one in particular that sticks out, and you may not – think much of it but it's the ambulance okay why does that stick out you yeah. say <laughs> like, uh-huh. why would you pick that ron uh for a lamborghini or a ferrari or even a freaking mercedes-benz but um uh what, what do they call that thing uh shoot what is it called it was the dodge sportsman b200 ambulance 1978 and that particular van was the actual van that was driven by brock yates the creator of the cannonball run or whatever they called it. It was some long name shortened to the Cannonball Run, but anyway, uh, the real thing. Granted, it was slightly modified. It's got a 426 under the hood. Actually, uh, probably more like a 440. Um, we're not sure on that because we're, you know, the jury's still out. But <laughs> let's just say it's not your everyday run of the mill ambulance. Anyway, I just thought it was really interesting that this particular vehicle wasn't just some vehicle they threw together. It was an e actual vehicle that they raced in the race. Yeah. I think they. Would have won had they not lost a transmission. <laughs> <laughs> um, <coughs> the one vehicle that always caught my attention is the one that Adrian Barbeau is driving. Uh, I couldn't, I couldn't figure out which was hotter, the car or her. And I was like, hmm. <laughs> I think that's when I first started. Like, I think I saw it when I was like five or six. I'm like, oh, I like girls. Yeah, we're, we're good. But I also like cars. Hmm, torn here. <laughs> yeah, I think it's funny is that both movies have like the hot duo. Which are always trying to like scam the cops to get out of tick and stuff like that, mm-hmm. but completely different. Was Adrian Barbeau too hard to get for the sequel? I don't know what happened there. They end up getting um Catherine Bach and somebody else, Susan Anton, I think. One of those. Like, I think that was it. Yeah. Faces you always see in the. I mean, growing up, you, everyone who didn't love Daisy, so it didn't really bother me all that much. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, um, actually, we kind of touched on that particular Ferrari. Uh, Ferrari. I'm sorry, Lamborghini fans. We touched on that Lamborghini a tad a bit when we started this series with uh, Automan. Yes. Now, granted, it's, it's the same model, but it's not the same year, but pretty much the same car throughout the years. <laughs> I'm sorry, you Lamborghini purists, but it, it essentially looks like the same car. I'm sorry. <laughs> but anyway, the, uh, I digress. Yeah. Um, what I was going to say is uh, 
I can't remember if they changed the car. I feel like that car is in all three movies, because I was watching a clip from Speed Zone, and I'm like, is that the same car? So I'm wondering if uh, Golden Harvest it is not. Caught. Huh? It's not? It is, it is not. Actually, it's a 500 that's in the second movie. Yeah, okay. Uh, I'll let everybody know that uh, I know the movie end. He knows the car end. I rarely ever, I'm kind of <laughs> stupid when it comes to that stuff. So if I seem like I'm completely loose, you are quite right. <laughs> um, there is a pretty, oh, go ahead. No, I, was, I don't know, I was just like filling air. Um, You're filling air? There's a magic car in there if nobody noticed it. If, if you watch closely, uh, was it Mel Tillis? Yeah. And uh, was it, oh. Terry Bradshaw. I should know him. Player. Terry Bradshaw, yes. Their characters, they drive a particular car, uh, the Hawaiian Tropic NASCAR themed. It was supposed to be a, it's a street legal version of what the, was actually driven in NASCAR at that time. Um, but it was a 1976-ish Chevrolet Chevelle Laguna, they called it. Now, you remember how they hid the car? Now, I watched this one first, but we were going to do this as a summer episode, everybody, and we kept getting delayed. So I watched this like back in June. <laughs> so no, I don't remember. Oh, shoot, man. Well, no, it's, so they're trying to get away from the cops in the beginning of the movie, and they're like, we got to hide. We got to hide. So he's, uh, I got an idea. He runs it through a building, a hotel or something like it, ends up dousing it in the pool. <laughs> anyway, so now they say they got they got to camouflage. They got to get it out there. They got to paint the car, okay? So nobody will notice what, you know, know it's them. Well, this is where the magic happens. They take a 1976 Chevrolet Chevelle Laguna, they paint it gray, and apparently that's all you need to do to turn it into a Monte Carlo. <laughs> that makes no sense whatsoever. <laughs> really bad continuity problem there. I'm t- yeah. <laughs> sorry, but <laughs> anyway, you know, moving funny, on. The one thing I remember most about the first movie, uh, I had to actually watch it twice. Uh, the first time I ended up stopping halfway through, and I was like, I don't remember anything from the first half, so i got to restart. Um <laughs> but I remember Mel Tillis being like surprisingly funny. I didn't. I don't recall anything from Hee Haw. I know he was a star of it, but um, I was like, this guy's really funny. Who is this? And someone told me he's like Mel Tillis. I was like, oh, you mean like the country singer? Like I, I'm, I was completely oblivious right. as to who he was. And uh, I would say him. And, and of course, this is the first experience I think we really had with Jackie Chan. I can't remember if the Big Brawl comes out the year before or the year after uh, Cannonball Run. But for most Americans, this was their first exposure to the early years of Jackie Chan. And it didn't take, it took me many, many years, probably till I met you in high school, before I even knew who Jackie Chan was. Well, I, had I knew, of, I'd seen this many years ago, but I didn't know who he was. Yeah, I had kind of forgotten about it, because I had seen the Cannonball Run movie. And, uh, uh, it's called two or three different things, like Rumble City, or, um, I can't remember, uh, I had it on, um, the original, uh, but there's also The Protector, which I had seen on TV times. I can't remember this at all. Ah, la, 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 la. <laughs> um, Wikipedia is truth. Yes, Sorry. unless you have a crazy friend editing it. Um, remember when Wikipedia first started? It was just, like, complete Mad Max chaos of the internet. Just people right. would put up all sorts of, that's not even close to being true. What are you talking about? The Earth is flat! <laughs> it's true in my mind. <laughs> um... But I also want to talk about the posters. This is a weird period where Drew wasn't the uh, straight up uh, like Indiana Jones, you know, the Star Wars kind of stuff. He was doing comedy things, and I gotta say, his comedy poster really grabbed the essence of every single character. Whenever he does them, he did a bunch for his company called Movies, oh. which most people don't know those uh, All's Fair and stuff like that. But he does the poster for Cannonball Run One, and I believe he does the second one as well. Uh, but he really captures the essence of Bert. The essence of Bert, new in a bottle at this. <laughs> the stash. He, he really brings out the stash. 
<laughs> I, I love Burt Reynolds, and I like his more serious fare. Uh, you know, like The yes. Longest Yard. Um, I'm a huge fan of Sharky's Machine. I think it's highly underrated, probably his greatest. Um, and then he did, like, uh, Malone. City Malone, Heat that's with, good. Uh, Clint Eastwood. But he did a lot mm-hmm. of series in the 80s, and a lot of people forget about that. They seem to remember the, uh, the more, you know. He did, oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm getting off the Burt Reynolds run. I was looking up Hal Needham here, and I saw that he did the McClintock. He must have done stunts with McClintock because he couldn't have directed. Okay, I was gonna say that makes more sense, and that that brings me to tell me about how these two got together. Yeah, like well, the biggest reason he threw together this movie was to bring all his stunt buddies together to have some fun, you know. And <laughs> yeah, a lot of people forget that Burt Reynolds uh, started off with stunts and then kept doing his own stunts, and he thought that just taking a Percocet, what you know, just oh, you pop a Percocet, you do the stunt, you move on with your day, and then when it's done, you you, you rest in ice. And, you know, make the pain go away. Uh, sadly, do you know, I'm going to go off on a right after he did Cannonball Run 2 with Clint Eastwood, and he got hit in the face with a chair that did not break away. It was supposed to and damaged Ooh. his jaw, and he couldn't eat doing, like, liquid diets. And that's why you so in the last half of... Right. And people Ow. thought that he was, that he had HIV. That And they kept passing these rumors that him and Dom DeLuise, since they got so, you know, along so well, they're best buddies, and that Dom DeLuise is way slightly effeminate with his character. Uh, I remember mm-hmm. this rumor going around that they were in a relationship together, and that kind of destroyed his career, because people believed And right. all of a sudden, no one wanted to hire him. He couldn't get a project that was, like, you know, an A-list. And it's kind That's of a bummer. Nice. It's nice. Yeah. So you can imagine what it would have done to him if it happened during the internet age yeah oh my god you see like fifteen thousand posts on it and everybody making up their own oh he's an alien from yep. another planet this the skin that he's in is starting to deteriorate he's from v he's an alien from v <laughs> oh don't get me started on that one anyway um <laughs> <laughs> oh we will our next show is all about sci-fi tv shows and we're going to the true v. Um, all right so uh the movie was big brawl with jackie chan not the not big bra which was a totally different movie <laughs> <laughs> you had to get that one out of the back I room. I did. I just I, well, I, I was trying to tell somebody once, and like the what brawl, brawl was an L at the end. Oh, never mind. Also known as Battle Creek Brawl. Yeah, that's it. I couldn't remember. Um, so yeah, uh, I knew that. I really did know that. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Cannonball Run, of course, huge, massive hit. This is in the heyday when uh, Burt Reynolds was the biggest star in Hollywood, top of the line. And it's funny how for a seven-year period there, he was just like top, you know, top ten box office, and then all of a sudden, eighty-four comes around that rumor and done, which is a shame. Yeah. All right, so uh, Cannonball Run Two is probably my favorite of the bunch, and I, I kind of explained why. But um, do you prefer the first or the second one? Um, I have to say the second one for a lot of the same reasons. Uh, comedy. I love. Honestly, I really love the uh, the old gangster dudes. Yeah. Abe Pagoda and Henry Silva. Just. <laughs> There's a bunch of nimwits. Anyways, I loved it. I think Although, about how many times, Frank... Is it weird how many times people thought Abe Bogota was dead? Right? <laughs> <laughs> it just added to his stardom. You know, I just, anyway. I'm looking at all these names from the second one compared to the first. And uh, you have Telly Savalas, Ricardo Montalban, Jimmy Farr. Of course, Jimmy Farr is in all three yes. of them. Uh, uh, Sammy and Dean, of course. Uh, hold on. Let's talk about Dom DeLuise and Captain Chaos for a second. What is that madness? <laughs> what is that insanity? I thought it was so fun and cute when I was a kid. I'm like, no, he needs help. He's somebody help him now. Yeah, I helped him win. Well, it came close to winning. I don't know. But I, I, I don't know. 
seeing Dom DeLuise, he's a perfect guy to do that sort of thing. Yeah. So I, I liked it, to be honest. But <laughs> yes, he did need help. <laughs> what most of Dom DeLuise characters do. So <laughs> when I was a kid, I actually thought that Captain Chaos was also in the second Smokey and the Bandit. And then I watched it again a couple years ago. I was like, oh no, I just somehow made I, I, I Smokey and the Cannonball Run. I mushed them into one movie. Meshed them together. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what is it? Is it Cannonball Run? Yeah, that was the Cannonball Run where he's actually getting shot out of the. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Right, okay. Yeah, I, I did the exact same thing. Anyway. Uh, we have Marilou Henner in this one replacing, you know, Farrah Fawcett as right. the, the lead hottie, I guess, if you want to say it. Right. And Shirley MacLaine. Great. Oh, there's another Rat Packer. I forgot. She was the one, the lone female Rat Packer. Yeah. Uh, we have. Richard Keel. He's the big yes. seven foot tall. <laughs> now, you were telling me this before we started recording is I thought, for some reason, I forgot that Richard Keel is not in the first movie as Jackie Chan's partner. It's the sequel. It's, I think it's a cute juxtaposition of the two. One's just kind of like right. the big Hulk kind of guy, and the other one's like Iron Fist, and they're just flying around. Um, kicking everybody's teeth in. That, the, of course, those are the highlights of both movies. Watching him kick the crap out of somebody. But the first movie, I'm like, that was it. That's it. We're done. Was it? Was it that movie or the first one? I can't remember which one. Where they essentially Jackie Chan's driving by in his car, and his, they see a fight or a brawl going on, and they instead of going on, they stop because he wants to join in. You know, he's, yeah. it's Jackie Chan. I it's his time to shine. One. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, did you notice? And this is such a nitpicky little thing, but he's playing video games inside his car. And yeah. he's playing one game, but you hear the Atari Pac-Man. Like, that's not Pac-Man. <laughs> well, you got to use what you can use. Yeah, I guess. It's uh, a, if you, well, you use what people would know. I mean, use that sound, and then people are going to know he's playing a video game. He's true, not playing. Yeah. But anyway. And uh, what was he driving? Because that car fascinates me. It's clearly like one of those James Bond kind of patchwork cars. Uh, it's called a, it's a Subaru DL. I don't know have a whole lot of bit of information on it, but there's it's kind of funny because in the credits you'll notice that Richard Keel and Jackie Chan are labeled, and I can't remember the name of the other guy in the first movie, but they're all labeled as um, the Mitsubishi driver one and two, right? It's not a Mitsubishi; it's a Subaru. (laughs) It even says Subaru on the car in the movie. (laughs) Oh, that's just lazy. (laughs) But but anyway, I just thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, oh, and Jim Neighbors in this one. Yes, yes. Get oh, this. Golly. His, his name is Private Homer Lyle. Oh, oh got it. <laughs> uh, it took me a second. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of like, golly. There's um. Oh, and the Apple Dumpling Gang. Yes. Tim Conway, John yes. Knox come in, and they get the crap beat out of him by that little monkey. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, a chimp in a limousine. Well, well you can't go wrong with I this know, stuff. Right? I mean. <laughs> well, well, somehow Tony Danza must have really got along with monkeys because I think he made a movie with Danny DeVito like later where I think called Going Bananas or something like that where him and a bunch of monkeys. Oh, yeah. Adventures. It's like one of those things that was always on HBO, like constant. Right. Uh, so, how, many, how much did Tony Danza do? What do you mean? Because it seemed like he dropped off the face of the planet for a while and then he had his own show on daytime for a while yeah. for a short stint. Well, he here's the weird thing about Tony Danza. The dude can act. But it's been very sporadically shown. Uh, I think right. most people just tie him down to being, oh, he's just a variation of himself. He's always playing a guy named Tony. Well, he did, you know, he right. Who's the Boss, and he did Hudson Street, which was a big critical hit. Did well in the ratings, but then it went up against something, I can't remember what, and got canceled after the season. Everybody was mad because they thought <sighs> ABC should have held on. Uh, right. He did a talk show. 
Um, of course, he did Angels in the Outfield somewhere in there where, you know, that was a Right. Uh, and then he did um, Don John playing the father of Joseph Gordon-Levitt. And you're right, you only see him here and there, but I'm guessing the dude saved his money well, and yeah. he doesn't have to embarrass himself taking projects that are beneath him. Well, he's also very, I mean, it's obvious, he's not in the limelight. He's not the kind of person that just sucks in all the attention, the media attention. Right, right, right. He's not a tabloid very, guy. He seems like an obvious right. stand-up dude who probably just lives in his neighborhood every once in a while, makes a paycheck, and just goes on with his life. He doesn't need to star on right. this like, crappy reality show. I'm looking at This is like the latest thing he's done is on TV, a TV movie called Sebastian Says. I don't know what that is. In 16. And then uh, Broad City, a TV series in 2016. Oh, Broad City but, is hilarious. Oh, it's filthy, but it's hilarious. <laughs> so he's still doing, well, at least he's starting to get back into it, it looks like. Yeah. It's very sporadic. Anyway, sorry. Get off. Well, that pretty much brings there. us to the end of Speed, uh, uh, Cannonball Run 2. Let's go on to Seed Zone, which I did not know for years was a sequel, even though I clearly knew the first time I saw it. I was like, oh, Jamie Farr's playing the same kind of character. This is the same kind of concept. Never connecting the fact. Uh, it boggled my mind that people would buy continuations <laughs> of franchises and just. Ch but if you look at right. the history of, like, especially lower budget movies, like No Retreat Surrender and, like, House. Somebody that there'd be sporadically put out there with different. Yeah. Or the worst curse is when they they take a movie that has nothing to do with it, slap the title three on it. You know, it's like well, that's there's no connection. Oh well, it's about a demon. The last we had a demon in it. There we go. Like uh, Night Rider. What was that? Twenty ten, which I actually like. Twenty ten. Shut up. Well, it was good. Yes, I liked it too, but it was very loosely based. Yeah. Off of the original. Anyway. Anyway, well, we, do we've done that already. A lot. They do it every. <laughs> a lot of times, like, they just regurgitate. All right, so Speed Zone. Uh, this one is actually written, and I didn't know this until recently, Michael Short is Martin Short's brother, who was a writer for most of his stuff throughout the 80s and 90s, and started off on SCTV. This is almost an SCTV. SCTV. You're saying that like you don't... I don't know what that is. What? What? <laughs> <laughs> second, uh, second City Television. Most people know Second City out of Chicago, but there's also one out of Canada. I think it's based in Toronto. Uh, right. started, uh Basically, everybody from Saturday Night Live and like uh, Kids in the Hall. It seems like a lot of them started or, or somehow connected to Second. Um, so SCTV was the Canadian version of Saturday Night Live, but instead of being like a live and having a rotating guest and very topical sketches, this was this mm -hmm. weird, intricate world where SCTV was a fake television, where they would have all of these parodies of TV shows that are popular at the time. Not like, okay. you know, say, not like doing a parody of Dallas, but a show like Dallas. But it's always kind of toned like uh, oddball sense of humor. It took me forever and a day to really get its rhythm. It's not one of those laugh out loud kind of funny. It's kind of one of the, that's weird. I kind of like that. And it's humorous on how they're, it's, it's much calmer, I would say, instead of in your face. Well, it's funny you say that, because I'm, I'm, just looked it up, and I'm seeing, let's see, Second City Television cast underneath that on a Google search, and it's showing John Candy, Eugene Le Levy, uh, Joe Flaherty, all three of which are in Speed Zone. And of course, are you still you, there? Yeah, yeah, I do. And then you have Harold, <laughs> okay. Harold Ramis was in the beginning. Um, you have uh, Catherine O'Hara, uh, mm -hmm. Andrea Martin. Uh, I'm trying to think who else on there. Of course, Martin Short was on there. Uh, my dog, there's somebody. But these guys have kind of worked together sporadically throughout the year. And I want to say this is really where, uh, oh, Dave Thomas. Dave Thomas, because him and Rick Moranis started here, and they did Strange Brew. Dave Thomas. 
Not, no. not, not like Wendy's. No, 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 not Dave Thomas. <laughs> Dave Thomas is kind of okay. one of those like character actors. Uh, he was the okay. brother in Strange Brew, but he was on um, Grace Under Fire okay. for years. Did you ever watch Grace Under Fire? I did. Okay, I know who you're talking about now. Yeah, the show was really strange because it uh, started off in Canada, and then NBC bought it. It was originally an hour and a half episode, then they cut him down to an hour, and then they took a year off, and they brought it back, and it was really weird because they don't have like a consistent run. Is it? SCTV, is this where Ed Grimley got his start? Yes. And in ah. fact, the guy who wrote Speed Zone is the writer uh, who did the cartoon. Uh, do you remember the animated series of Ed Grimley? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it's, oh, yeah. it's kind of that way. <laughs> Uh, we kind of put on a tangent here, but if you don't know SCD, you probably don't get a lot of the weird humor in this. It's not as subversive as the show, but it's not as in-your-face as the uh, right. the first two. It's got a different feel. To it. Uh, clearly shot in Canada, because that is the cloudiest damn movie I've ever seen. The whole <laughs> right. thing looks like open fields and clouds, except for the very end, where they clearly just grabbed everybody and took them to California or something. <laughs> oh. Now, let's talk so about the cameos real quick. How do we open the movie? John Schneider coming in with his little I like, loved it. His Dukes of Hazard jacket. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, we also have Brooke Shields. Um, and, oh, 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 and then Lee Van Cleef. I think in his final performance, he's doing that scene. He throws the rock across the water, showing his grandson, and then the car bounces across the water. Which car was that? Schneider's car that did that? I can't remember. Uh, I'm pretty sure he's being chased by cops. I thought that John right. Schneider was going to be in more of the movie. I was kind of disappointed that he's only in the very right. beginning. Like, wait, what? Uh, it's eye candy. It's his tension grabber type of thing. Anyway. Yeah. And also with, you know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it also has my... doing a cameo as well. Yeah, I was just going to say that. My, my Speaking of Tony Danza, anyway. Angela. I, uh... That was my first love. But. <laughs> I think everybody our age had, uh, well, hmm, someone bought a copy of Teen Bop. Yeah, 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 let me do Milano. You know, <laughs> it's like that kind of thing. Yeah, I'm okay, it was good I'm to okay have with Teen Bop. I'm good with it. It was good to have a sister in the house. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's the same thing I have. I'm like, I'm going to casually rip this out. No one will notice. <laughs> right. What happened to all, why are there so many empty spots in my, anyway. <laughs> I know, I see an interview and half a shoulder and then the rest is gone. <laughs> <laughs> I see Tony Danza, her brother, and uh, what's her <laughs> Angela, and she's strangely missing. Anyway, uh, here's the one thing: is I didn't notice this until now. Now I have probably not seen it since it first came out. I remember renting it a few times. Uh, I did not realize that Matt Frewer was the uppity British guy trying to rip off yes. Joe Flaherty. Yes. Uh, if you don't know who Matt Frewer is, a Canadian actor who is famous for Max Headroom, but in my he world, he what's that? I was just getting ready to say uh, that. <laughs> Max Headroom and my favorite uh, show of the 80s, I think, is probably Doctor Doctor. Almost completely forgotten by now. I've forgotten it. Yeah, it was on for three <laughs> seasons, and no one remembers this show. It was it was really critically acclaimed, uh, got nominated for a great deal of awards, and it was one of these shows that would uh, handle a lot of topics, because he's in the medical field, so there's a lot of stuff like people weren't talking about back then. You know, abortion, HIV, contamination, and stuff like that. You know, he, they were talking about serious topics, and they got nominated for, like, a lot of those kind of, like, not Emmys and Gold Globes, but, like, you know, and stuff like that. Um, but it was a really good show, and, my God, you can't find this depressing. I have a question. Is yeah. Frewer an Aussie? What? Or from New Zealand? Is Frewer an Aussie? No, he's Canadian, but he studied over Canadian. in England. So 
uh, if you look at early stuff in his career, they're, they're British films. He was in one of the Monty Python movies, Super Girl, and a couple other things that were shot in Britain. And then he came right. back to um, America, and he did... Well, Curse, I think he shot Max Hedron, and then came back here. Okay. And that's when he did Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. And that kind of, you know, got his name. I was just curious, because I, I was looking that up, and I see a new series in 2016 to whenever called Dr. Doctor, but it's based in Australia. Oh, okay. Uh, no, it might uh, be a remake of it. I don't know, but he pops up on a lot knows. of TV shows. Uh, right. Paranormal, uh, which is one of these like Ghostbusters kind of shows, but more realistic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he was on Eureka for years. I love Eureka. Yeah. It ended way too soon, in my opinion. Oh, yeah, but anyway, yeah. Sci-Fi I, Channel seems to be pulling the rug out from other people. Like, like, no, 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 no. You probably had another story. What? No, we're done. Okay. <laughs> Dang it! Is like, like they, they pretty much left it. I, I don't mind if you're gonna run out. That's fine, but let's let's find a way to wrap it up. Yeah, the you TV know, movie is it, it is left it hanging? Widely ignored. When you can't end a series in time, just a two-hour movie. Finish up all the stories. Right, right. Anyway. Yeah. All right. Another uh, off on a tangent. <laughs> yeah, again, off on a tangent. Uh, so John Candy is one of these, uh, probably the only A-lister in this entire movie. Everybody else is kind of like a support. Or kind of just like a, a, a jokey cameo, or like an unknown at the time. Matt Frew, like I said, was barely known. Uh, they must have just asked John Candy to come in as a favor. It's like, hey, work with your old SCTV buddies. Like, ah, sure, why not? But if you look at these yeah. kind of movies, I guarantee that, like in the first two movies, Burt Reynolds probably worked for three weeks to a month at most, and John Candy probably is for a week. He really right. isn't in much of the movie. I would say that uh, Matt, uh, Matt Frew and J- uh, Joe Flaherty are in more of this. Mm-hmm. What's that? I don't like. I was just noticing, sir. The Donna Dixon character it's, is really annoying. I don't know if you were irritated by it. I was like, yeah, I got it. You're doing a Marilyn Monroe impression. It's kind of stupid. <laughs> okay, I got to ask you something. Um, it's been a while since I've watched Speed Zone completely through. And I'm noticing Richard Petty uh, was an 86 NASCAR Pontiac Grand Prix. I don't know if it's the actual car or not, but uh, I'm seeing that on here in the car database. Was he in it? He is. He's in it for maybe a minute. A cop pulls him over, and he's like, hey, hey, are you, you are, can I have your autograph? And he takes off his shades, he's like, yeah, and he goes, and here's your ticket. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, I was like, well, okay, definitely got to watch it all the way through again. Yeah, uh, and there's stuff in the end that's actually pretty good, so if you miss these little cameos, I think there's one scene, though, uh, where I think they lose their time ticket, and Carl Lewis is running behind the car, where John Candy's driving it, and uh, he goes, hey, you dropped this way back there. And he's like, how far back? He goes, I don't know, about 10 miles ago. <laughs> he's been racing the car ever since. And I was like, well, it's funny, but it's one of those like of-the-moment kind of jokes where if you see it 10 years later, they're like, who's Carl Lewis? We don't have a Wikipedia yet? Oh, all right. Crap. Uh, and, and Sphinx. Well, not Sphinx. Uh, Sphinx. Um, you know, the boxer. For a brief moment, he was camp. He like, beat Mike Tyson. Uh, he has a cameo. Uh, Michael then Sphinx. he threatened to bite his ear off. And... Yeah. <laughs> no, not, that was Mike Tyson. No, Michael Spinks had won, I think, right before, or right after um, Tyson, but before Hollyfield. And he, he's in a moment. Well, there's, there's a scene where they, they tear apart this car, uh, and uh, the whole time Matt Brewer and Joe Flaherty's character think it's someone else's, and it turns out it's Michael Spinks, and he's like, I'm going to kill you guys. And he squeezes these beers, and they explode everywhere. Because <laughs> nothing says I'm stronger than you, then. Anyway. Uh... Giant packs of beer spraying everywhere. <laughs> Uh, all these movies were horrible, horrible in critics' minds. Uh, 
this is what Roger Ebert said about the final chapter. Read my lips. Cars are not funny. Speeding cars are not funny. It's not funny when a car spins around and seeds in the other direction. It's not funny when a car flies through the air. It's not funny when a truck crashes into a car. It's not funny when cops chase speeding cars. It's not funny when cars crash through roadblocks. None of these things are funny. They have never been funny, but this is what they get wrong, is it's the people in the movie. How they react to these is what makes Right. Okay. Is he... I don't get that part. Is he knocking it or <laughs> oh, he, he's knocking it uh both him and uh Cecil uh, gave it thumbs down and this movie uh... is kind of lost it still is not on dvd it only ever made it to vhs and laserdisc laserdisc kids were gigantic dvds I know. were it... the previous version yes. of blu-rays well blu-rays are the per- version that you get when you don't want to download it directly I, well when you want to directly download it legally okay there we go <laughs> yeah let's let's put that <laughs> little anyway um <laughs> you know, I think I've only seen. Well, no, we had that one row at was it hometown video we had, not hometown. Yeah, what hometown? Well, what was the video store we grew up with that where we rented our video game systems and oh. <laughs> they had that one row at the top of laser discs. No, this, that was that was hometown date. video. Yeah, it was up and like they they put it so high up like no one could grab or like apparently you don't want people to rent these. <laughs> they were so high up. Right? I don't think Video Connection, which was our other go-to, like, later. That um, was the other one. I don't think they ever had lasers. <clears throat> but you see them, they're like some weird artifact. Light out of your it's like Some of them were gold and some so <laughs> shiny. And <laughs> and if you wanted one, you had to put down enough sand so that it wouldn't notice the weight difference. And if so, the giant right? ball would run you over. <laughs> the giant Dreamcast would run you. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Sad. Blah, what was the Sega, Sega piece of junk that was the... CD-ROM oh, thing. That was the behemoth that we would rent. Oh my god, the 32X. <laughs> yes, we used to be able to rent video game systems. <laughs> I know, it's mind-boggling. Anyway. Uh, so, there's one sequence in the movie that I, I want to play because it cracks me up every single time. It's all about miscommunication. Uh, hopefully you... I wonder if they're going to feed us on this flight. I do not speak. Uh, uh, French? Francais? my peanuts <laughs> no Ron, sorry uh, i have four, 14 15 kids just ready just any day now i'm gonna have 15 kids <laughs> um this this is right when the smothers brothers were starting to have like a little bit of a revival but here's the weird thing i've always wanted to see the smothers brothers show but they said they have no plans of putting them out on disc he says they were of the moment and they just went hold up through time and i'm like oh i just want to know <laughs> Let us be the judge of that. Seriously. Yeah, they uh, they were so controversial, but apparently so far ahead of their time. Uh, I think Albert Brooks and Steve Martin and Rob Reiner were all writers on that show, and uh, they were so controversial that they got pulled. They were a huge hit, but CBS just got tired of the FCC just like breathing down their neck and getting all these terrible letters, so they decided to pull the show. 
It's it's bummer. Uh, is there anything else you want to say about anything before we go? Uh, watch them over and over again. Because <laughs> there's brain. always something new you've missed the first time you watch. I mean, seriously, yeah. so many different little cars that they they sneak in that you didn't notice before. It, yeah, it's very cool. There, uh, there uh, is... although the third one has a whole lot of like the Buick Skyhawks, the Chevettes, the Monzas. We could do without all that crap. Yeah. But, uh... <laughs> well, uh, you you must. I I bet you the budget. Okay, so the budget on the first movie was seventeen million. I bet you the second one with all those extra stars was probably about twenty. They saw, well, this only made $28 million. It cost 20 so we need to drop the budget severely. So, you know, they shot it in Canada. They got John Candy, who's the only man. They probably got him for maybe like a couple hundred thousand for a week. Uh, and they probably could not afford, like, really high-end cars. Right. Uh, I can say, like, even the Lamborghini that was in this was a kit. Okay, one of them was a kit, at least. There was a Kutosh replica, and then there was an actual car in there, but the Quattro Valve, but... Uh, quite a few kit cars. <laughs> yeah, well, the Jaguar is real, right? Uh, the Jaguar, Jaguar, the XJ, I think. Yeah, I think yeah, that was that was. That that gets a lot of focus. The when they jump, like that that huge jump they take, I'm not really buying that. In a Jaguar. Does it really have that kind of power? Hang on a second. Um, I'm seeing somebody saying it's a fake. Oh. Very well, very well, but it could be so. But anyway, and like I said, well, I mean, obviously. There's a lot of stunts involved in all this, so I imagine there's probably not a whole lot of real in it, so, <laughs> to be honest, but, oh, uh, well. This movie ends, uh, clearly, in California, because all of a sudden the sun pops out and people are in bikinis, but there is a thing that bugs me, because it brings back horrible nightmares, is, uh, bumper cars, fucking bumper cars. <laughs> I, I once went to an amusement park where I got into a bumper car that, A, did not work, and the guy refused to stop it. I kept yelling, hey, this one isn't working. Can I get out and get another one? He's like, but it's running right now. You can't. I'm like, but can you stop this? So, A, he took my money. And, B, he wouldn't listen to the fact that my thing wasn't working. People kept slamming into me over and over. And for some reason, my seatbelt thing or whatever uh, kept getting tighter and tighter and tighter. Every time they would hit me, it would get tighter. And it started cutting. And I was, I think, 11 at the time. And I'm a little embarrassed by this, but I cried. I was just like one of these moments where I was like, what a stupid sport. And I will never get in a bumper car ever again. I don't understand the joy of ramming into people at like two miles per hour. It's like clunk, clunk. And if you're going any faster, oh my God, my neck. Oh boy. Like I couldn't get in that now. I'd rather like, pull something to my you know, <laughs> shoulder or my neck. It's more fun now. We've got a uh, kid's fun place around here that we go to that has bumper, bumper, Bumps. I don't know, you call them bumper cars, but they're, they're surrounded by a big inner tube of cushion of air now. Oh, instead of hard <laughs> And they spin. And they, they drive like a tank, you know. You spin it, you pull the, you know, either way, you've got two grips or two handles to make it go forward and backward and you can spin. Yeah. But then they, they add in a mix where you no longer have control and the computer is controlling it for you. So that's fun. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, they've gotten worse over time. Yeah. Sparks you get a little bit more whiplash. You still got those little sparks flying out? <laughs> no, they're all self-contained now. Oh. It's, got its own, it's under its own power. So. Okay. <laughs> you serve uh, that. So, we, uh, we're, our hair's not catching on fire now, because we don't have the hairspray anymore anyway. No, so. no, no, no. Well, most of us don't even have any hair. Ten-foot-tall hair. <laughs> oh, my back hair. Oh, God, it's on fire. <laughs> I hate when that happens. We said we were going to do a mini-sode. We've almost gone an hour. Oops. We always go over. We what are you do. talking about? But you have to get up early, so let's wrap this up. Everybody, check us out on Facebook under Retro Rocket Entertainment. Thank you very much, Ron, for joining me for this episode again. 
I think our no next problem. episode is going to probably be gone in these seconds, like the the Junk Man, you know, that trilogy and the remake. Um, otherwise, yes. what? I said yes. Oh, um, sorry. <laughs> otherwise, in January we are going to be launching our new show, Full Throttle Sci-Fi. Uh, I think the first episode we'll start off with. Um, is going to be like Western sci-fi. I'm in the mood. I think we should start off with some more. We're not going to do Star Trek. We're not going to do Star Trek. There's a thousand podcasts that have discussed Star Trek, and everybody's going to rip us a new one. Mm-hmm. So I know that going in. But I was thinking, maybe, yep. uh, the sci-fi westerns, uh, which you have uh, Adventures of Briscoe County Jr. Mm-hmm. You have the Wild Wild West, and you have Legend mm-hmm. with Richard Dean Anderson. So that will be our first episode. And I'm thinking after that, maybe a little time travel, a little quantum leap. Maybe a little bit of sliders. Wild Wild West, the original, or Wild Wild West, don't Will even, Smith? Don't you dare. Uh, I will not talk about robotic spiders. Thank you. <laughs> anyway. All right, Enough so said. that is it. Uh, hasta la vista. Hey, peace. final song by the way in uh speed zone this song's terrible anything over and over